Hello, welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I am Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London, and I have Effie with me. Hello, everybody. I'm Effie Pilarinu, a fintech and blockchain advisor out of uh, Switzerland and co-host with Arun. And uh, in our company today is uh, David Henderson. He is co-founder and uh, CFO of Sweetbridge Foundation. Welcome, David. Thank you. Yes, uh, Effie and Arun, uh, nice to be here. We would like to hear from you firsthand uh, about yourself a bit and Sweetbridge and how all this uh, came about, just a, a bit of, of the birth of all this um, uh, big initiative. Okay, sure. Um, I'm, as you said, uh, co-founder and CFO for Sweetbridge. Um, I'm uh, an accountant, a computer scientist. Uh, I worked with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC as they are now, um, and the Coca-Cola company in a variety of international locations um, and I've also spent 20 years in logistics supply chain finance technology uh, with a startup that we took from 20 people to uh, hundreds and hundreds and, and multiple international locations um, so really that's my my background um, in terms of the blockchain I joined Scott at Sweetbridge um, after uh, selling the the startup he founded uh, to private equity, um, I think about three years ago. And really, Sweetbridge started around, uh, I'd say, October 2016. Um, in discussions with Scott, we kind of realized that there was an opportunity uh, to do something um, with the blockchain uh, and, and, it was, and how transformational it was going to be. And I think the best analogy uh, I, I could give is that um, if the internet is the hand uh, where things can be moved, I can send you something, you can send me something, we can exchange things. The blockchain is the opposable thumb for the hand, which is the internet. So now you can actually thing, hold things on the internet and they actually are there. Uh, of course, the first thing we can hold is, is uh, crypto assets and that's why those have been popular but that ability to hold assets on the internet um is is really i believe going to change everything and that's um and that's really what the key is to uh most of mostly all the solutions and definitely what we're doing in terms of uh asset collateralization and uh using the internet for um you know financial purposes You know, David, the, the way you put it is, is quite interesting about holding assets because I find in my uh, activities that there's still a lot of uh, confusion and misunderstanding in, in thinking of the blockchain as a more efficient uh, database, which it is, but it's not only that. So this concept that you spoke about holding assets uh, needs to be well understood and, and also the fact that um, the internet has been amazing in connecting us but it has not uh, been able or rather we can say it has failed in creating a connected financial system 
or a connected value system. You know, talking about the financial system, it's easier to understand. We don't have a connected financial system through the internet. And I think that's one of the big potentials that, that blockchain has. So tell us about Sweetbridge. Should we be thinking of Sweetbridge as positioned in the supply chain finance spot, in the asset-backed lending spot? I mean, Sweetbridge is, is huge in what it aspires to do. Try to tell us a little bit. Okay, okay. So I, I think if I would say yes, to answer your question, it's both of those things. I think you've got to think of the difference in the way asset-backed lending works at the moment is that it's very difficult to assert title to assets. And I think I said, you know, the, the opposable thumb idea is if I say to you, do you have money in the bank? You can say, well, yes, I do have money in the bank. I can go online and, and look up a website in this database. There's a number that has my name against it. And so therefore I have that money. But do I actually, do you actually have that money? And does that money actually exist? And if everyone asks for it at the same time, is it there? And as we found out in 2007, 2008, actually it's not there uh, because we're doing fractional reserve lending and the banks are investing a lot of the money in long-term assets, which they can't liquidate very quickly. So the difference with uh, blockchain or asset-based lending using the blockchain is that it gives you the ability to actually hold the asset and you can check it. And it's that ability um, to kind of lend against that, which gives us our unique proposition of asset uh, back lending. So supply chain is an, an area which is very, very strapped for cash at the moment. Uh, and if you look at the world's largest logistics companies, they're not as profitable as the makers of electronic devices or the internet sales companies or or other normal companies. And it's very difficult for them to get finance. And they also have, you know, very high borrowing rates and they're not, they're not incredibly profitable, but they do have all of these assets in their control at any time. So the, the reality is that we can perform lending against those assets, which are locked on there. And we'd start with the, with some personal uh, lending, but also some uh, supply chain simply because the numbers are so large there. And it's really uh, trade finance that's uh, very interested in this kind of solution to get money moving to different suppliers and people in the supply chain. Uh, so, David, just one question in, in yes. terms of your uh, footprint in the emerging markets. Yes. So what are the kind of uh, real life problems you see there and uh, how are you trying to solve them and which parts of the world really are you kind of focusing on at the moment? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, the, the problems uh, are, are today's banking is extremely expensive and, and going to a developing country, we have to be careful not to introduce developing country uh, residents to uh, developed world banking charges. You know, how do you like those? But uh, it's it's fine if you're in Switzerland to pay relatively hard, high banking charges, and that's normal. Um, it's the cost of doing business there. But those same numbers don't work very well in other parts of the world. So even down to minimum fees and charges, you know, that, that gets very difficult. The advantage with... Um, uh, blockchain or, or crypto assets is that, you know, they're uh, micro-capable, currency and country agnostic. You know, you've got 18 decimal places, so there is no amount too small 
in theory, to send from one place to another. And that's just, um, it, that, that doesn't work for the standard banking system because everyone has to get a taste somewhere of what's happening and that has to be worth their while uh, financially. Of course, there's cha- challenges in making this magic internet uh, system work uh, from scaling to gas costs, transaction costs to fluctuating currencies. But the principle's still there. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the crypto assets today, even if you bought at the highest price in December, you're still doing seven times better than the Bolivar in Venezuela and probably better than the Argentinian uh, peso. So, you know, it's, it's not wonderful. Um, but it has, you can see the potential, um, which it's providing to, uh, as an alternative to fiat currency. So are you working on some uh, projects in uh, those countries, like Argentina, for example? We're working with companies who have business in those areas. Um, and the normal thing for them to do, you know, I think one of the ones is Vietnam uh, to Nigeria. was one of the trade routes that we looked into uh, quite deeply. And um, I think for both sides of that transaction, there's a cost of about 20% just to change money and you'd have to say well is that really reflecting the risk in those currency transactions not really but it's just historically what's charged for going from you know vietnamese dong to us dollars or nigerian pounds to us dollars and it's it's that the money that's trapped in those transactions that makes that difficult imagine if you had a currency which were stable and also uh, had very low friction if you like costs to get in and out of then that would be an excellent currency to do business in um you wouldn't have all the the high costs for sending that money around or getting in and out of that currency. So uh, is this uh, done uh, by by using your token, the Sweetbridge token? And maybe tell us a little bit about that. Sure, there's 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 two tokens, Sweet token and the let's call it the Bridge coin. The Bridge coin is the stable coin for doing trade in, and it will be stable. Um, all participants will be KYC'd in a closed whitelisted system. So, you, you know, money can't suddenly come in from somewhere or go from someone else. We, we will be handling the actual individuals doing that. We'll be our members. Um, and the sweet token is really a utility. Um, it's a discount token providing discount for fees and interests and, and also rewards within the system. So inst- instead of going into, and, and this is another reason for a foundation structure uh, or in some countries a guarantee company, whichever is easiest for ensuring that it can't be bought, can't be sold, can't distribute dividends. You know, you, you can't do anything with it other than meet the needs of the foundation or, or the, the entity. And that, that's critical because, you know, you could be bought out and it could completely change everything and put up the costs or change how the whole system works. So it was important to keep that uh, as essentially a not-for-profit, <clears throat> not meaning that the thing can't ever be profitable, just meaning that it can't distribute dividends to shareholders so the the really any excess profits go back to the members of that community using that service and that uh, fiscal entity to perform the business. So it's really like I think the word in uh, in Swiss is Raiffeisen. Um In America, it's a credit union. In the United Kingdom, it's it's sort of a building society, although it's not about buildings and properties, but it's member owned, member run. 
uh, and and essentially can't pay dividends or you know stash the money somewhere. It has to put it all back into the system. Uh, what technologies are you using at the moment for uh, what blockchain technologies are you using for uh, for this? Uh, well, we're actually blockchain agnostic, uh, but the easiest one uh, to get started on was was Ethereum, as it's widely adopted. Uh, we see lots of other blockchain technologies, and we're open to using those. Uh, there's no exclusivity. It's just that uh, it was. It was easier to start on that, and there seemed to be a lot of infrastructure. Um, although, you know, it does have challenges with scaling and transaction yeah. speed and gas cost, uh, all of which some very, very clever people, a lot cleverer than me, are working on fixing. Um, you know, but that that's where we started. But we we also, you know, we can collateralize lots of different types of assets, uh, including, you know, for now, Bitcoin and, and other ERC tokens. Um, but we'll ultimately move to real estate property in English, um, as well as lots of other classes of assets, inventory, fixed assets for, for companies, ultimately things like warehouses and other things that have value uh, and title can possibly be held, like I said, on, on the internet. Uh, that's a great point, uh, David, because uh, that's the kind of dilemma a lot of people have. Do I go for the most mature ecosystem, which is Ethereum at the moment? Uh, but there are challenges in terms of scalability there. So if I'm looking at um, potential technologies like Stellar, it's a great technology, it scales better, but um, Ethereum has the better kind of um, developer support. So there's always that um, decision making between the two in terms of what's the best way forward. So thanks for that. David, I see that um, you have a presence in more than one jurisdiction. It's not only where the foundation is. I think I saw um, five or six uh, yeah. locations where you're you're present tell us how that works and how that ties into the work that you're you're doing and which sort of use cases more advanced from all the, the global work that you're you have in progress right now that's a great question so i'll try not to spend too long answering it yeah. um but there is a book called the starfish and the spider which is about the history of the internet and, you know, straight to the punchline, you can kill the spider and it's dead and the web's finished and we're done. Um, for a starfish, if you cut its leg off, the leg becomes another star. But uh, the principle is this. We started in Switzerland with a Swiss foundation, um, but things quickly ground to a halt um, as, you know, new legislation started coming out in my guidelines and the banks were less keen to uh, continue their banking relationship with us based on, on what we were doing, despite all the legal advice we'd taken and everything else we'd done. So I think they're kind of waiting a little to see what happens next, or they're fleshing out their guidelines. I know they've done roundtables. I'm sure Switzerland will, will open up uh, fully again soon, and there'll be much more banking solutions. We certainly hear of things happening every day. Um, but... If you had just gone for Switzerland and nowhere else, then you'd have nothing right now because you couldn't open your bank account. But David, you would have joined the unbanked in a different way, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a privilege to come closer to the unbanked, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, in, in a way, I guess we are the unbanked then in, in certain the new respects. For Switzerland. So we went, we went in different jurisdictions. Um, and, and there's also... 
for this really to work, and, and you know, there's, there's lots of exchanges and lots of people doing things out there, for this really to work, you have to get back to fiat currency. Um, you know, we can all dream that there's some world where everything's paid for in cryptocurrencies and nobody uses fiat anymore and it's all easy and everything's simple. But, you know, based on the volatility of the, the currencies, uh, the, the fact that the exchanges, not everyone is doing full KYC and AML and monitoring transactions. There's illicit things going on and dark pools and other things. The, the authorities around the world are never going to let these uh, businesses thrive. Meeting with regulators uh, in several countries and uh, representatives of um, different organizations to say, what do you want? What, what, what should we do? And we'll do that to make sure we're covering everything that you want to do. So the only solution that worked was doing full KYC on AML and everything, knowing all of the customers and not doing any business with any uh, random side to it. So everyone has to be uh, fully um, verified before they can do any transactions on our network. So to answer the question about the multiple locations, well, each of those locations um, has access to different markets and is doing something with fiat currency as I said a few minutes ago. So to come back to that fiat currency and start taking that from people, start sending it, moving it around, you need license. Uh, whether that's an e-money license, uh, a money transmitter license, there's different licenses and different things for different places. You can work with different agencies in different places. So really it, it led to a multi-country solution which would help us survive and grow regardless of what was happening in any single jurisdiction. Um, and also allow us to get uh, kind of a race to see which license or agency or solution comes first and who can serve which market. So we're well underway in a lot of countries uh, and jurisdictions for that. Uh, David, one question I have is uh, when you're dealing with emerging markets uh, and merchants there, how aware are they of this um crypto uh era i mean uh what is whatever whatever we are seeing in this world today it's a new capital markets that we're creating almost um how aware are they um that's a that's a big question um i think it would surprise you uh how much people know about it um but the, the, it's also got a very bad reputation and you know uh there, there probably is money laundering done in in illicit currencies uh, in cryptocurrencies, but on illicit transactions. The Bank of International Settlements did a good paper, which you can Google, on what percentage of the last year's transactions on Bitcoin were actually related to uh, illicit transactions or trafficking anything, or uh, and, and it was less than 1%. So I think it's it's possibly unfair to think that everyone using the, the currencies is some kind of criminal, um, but at the same time, there probably are these things going on. You know, I always say, um, you know, uh, the, the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, what happens on the stays on the blockchain forever. So what, if you were going to do something bad, why would you do it and record it on an immutable public ledger in the sky that someone can find someday and say, oh, and, and I think it's, it's naive to think that, um, uh, Computing, you know, government authorities won't catch up with all these transaction power and time to go through them all. But you've literally got a detailed ledger of every transaction that's been carried out. So not a great place to do uh, illicit business. 
Um, but in developing markets, I think there's a lot more awareness um, and there's less trust of, uh, of governments with their own currencies. So some people are seeing it as an alternative to that. David, tell us what you're excited about on, on what you're working on. Give, give us something really tangible and specific from the work that you're doing. Um, we're excited about uh, uh, being able to provide authorized lending services from crypto assets and uh, supply chain assets. Um, we're, we're excited about working with some of the world's largest companies on, on proof of concept, although their numbers are very, very large. And we're not a very, very large company yet. Uh, but we're very excited about being able to bring that. Uh, you know, it's, it's like being your own bank. You can almost put an asset uh, on the blockchain. And we're not going to go off and gamble with it or invest it or do anything. We're just going to keep it there. Our protocol is. And you'll be able to draw against that. So it's kind of doing your own banking. And I think that will be a really interesting change for uh, a lot of places. And if, you know, as a not-for-profit member-run organization, hopefully the actual costs of doing that can be kept very low to make it uh, possible for, you know, developing countries to use it as a system for their own banking. Which country, which developing country is further along uh, that route of, of integrating and adopting uh, your protocol? Well, it's, um, it's not really down to the country. It's down to our, our licensing approvals. And licensing is easier to get in developed countries than developing countries. I haven't got a very good answer for you, I'm afraid. But there's, there's a lot of countries that are very interested. Uh, but we have to steer clear of um, any potential corruption or meeting anything uh, along the way. But we do need to get licensed to provide those services uh, in those countries. Unfortunately, the way it works is that it's faster and easier, perhaps more expensive to get uh, these licenses in developing countries. And also that that lends credibility to the financial story, uh, you know, participants and investors and other people. Thank you, David. Can we just spend the last few minutes uh, uh, on on uh, something more personal? Tell sure. us uh, a bit about. I was intrigued uh, uh, about the metaphor you used before uh, with the starfish and the spiders. What what books are you reading right now that are related to the crypto space, if any? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm I'm not reading a lot to do with the crypto space because huh? the 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 book publishing cycle is too slow for the blockchain. That's so I, I go on Medium and I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter. If they're following uh, people, you know, you get articles and links there very quickly to, to find out the latest hot stuff. So that's where you dwell. It's, it's more up to date. Uh, there's no, no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, I, think, I, think, I think Medium's the choice for the blockchain community that I've seen. Medium's where most of the interesting posts are. Great, great. Have you been able to take a, a vacation over the past year? Uh, blockchain and crypto is uh, is twenty four seven. So I've been lots of places, but I'm not sure I can not sure I can say they're really a vacation. But yeah, it's difficult. N- yeah. Not not disconnected is is the difficult part, right? That's that's right. And how many wallets do you have? Too many is the answer to that. <laughs> Everyone's got too many, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a, at, at the moment the user interface is terrible. No one can remember these huge long numbers. 
Uh, and if your money's sat on a wallet with an exchange, then it's uh, you haven't really got the opposable thumb. It's the the wallet. Some guy somewhere has has it on their website, and it's not your money. So you have to be careful with wallets and exchanges. That's that all I'll say. That's so true. Thank you so much, David, for joining us today. It was a great discussion. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, David. 